In Matthew 28, Jesus gives the Great Commission, which basically says, go into all the world and make disciples. What if the people who call First Casterville their home engaged in the Great Commission every day? It looks like having gospel conversations no matter where you are. Join with us and start having conversations that can impact a life for all eternity. Oh, man. Um, You know, hey, here's the thing. Uh, We have all kinds of reasons that we kind of push back against sharing Jesus with others. And one of those is not really having a simple way to share. And that's really what we're looking at over the next next few weeks is how can we turn our everyday conversations into gospel conversations. That doesn't mean that you become the person that, uh, you know, uh, there, there's, this, uh, there's this comedian, Christian comedian that does this bit, and he, he talks about, you know, uh, somebody loses their car keys. And they say, hey, I can't find my, my uh, car keys. And they say, uh, well, what do you drive? Well, I drive a Ford. And well, well, have you considered the Lord lately? You know, just trying to change everything into those kinds of things. Let's not do that. Let's not, uh, not try to make it something like that. But here's the thing. In, uh, in the New Testament, we believe that, uh, that Jesus was a man that, that lived, and he did so many amazing things, performed so many miracles. In fact, Jesus is the one that, uh, that brought us to this place where we can talk about what does it mean to be restored to God. Jesus taught us many valuable lessons, and he taught so many great principles for us to live live by, and everything that is important is recorded in the scriptures. Now, is it everything that Jesus said or everything that Jesus did? Well, absolutely not, because the the writer of of John said that if that were to be written down, he supposed there would not be enough volumes for it to contain it all. And so what we have to understand about the scriptures that we read is it's not everything that Jesus did. It's not everything that Jesus said, but it is all that matters. And we should make it our goal to become as familiar as we can with God's word, familiar as we can with the life of Jesus so that we will truly understand who he is and know his character. So if last words are important... If last words are important, I mean, think about it. How many of you have have watched a show or thought about what did a loved one say as they were were waiting to go to heaven? Their last words were extremely important. In fact, you felt like your last words to them were extremely important. Jesus gave us some final words. He gave us some final words and instructions to his disciples. We have those recorded in Matthew chapter 28. And in Matthew 28, Jesus gives these final instructions before he ascends into heaven. He talks to them. Jesus comes to them and he says to them, all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now he says that because he is the one that had just died and then he had risen again. Then he walked among them for 40 days. Jesus had proven that all authority on, he- on earth and in heaven had been given to him, and he had some very important words to tell them, go therefore and make disciples. Go and make people that follow after not only me, but the teachings that I taught. 
make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you, all that I have commanded you. And behold, you're not going to do it alone. I'm with you even to the very end of the age. Now, we call this, we, if you read in your scripture, you read in your Bible, this is called the Great Commission. Did you know, did you know that 51% of churchgoers in a, in a survey done by Barna, 51% of churchgoers actually didn't know what the Great Commission was? You use the term and they're like, I don't know. So chances are about half of us in here actually didn't know that that verse is actually called the Great Commission. It is the greatest commission that our Lord Jesus had placed on us that we go and tell other people. We go and tell them about the good news of Jesus Christ. 51%. And Jesus gave this to us as a very important message that we would go and tell others about what he taught, tell others about the kingdom of God, tell others about what it means to follow after him. When he said that I and the Father are one, when he talked about abiding in him, when he talked about being a person that is shown to be one that follows him by the love that they share with one another, he gave us the marching orders for the church. I want you to go. I want you to tell. I want you to send. Jesus has given us a mission. Jesus. Well, Jesus has given you a miss mission. So let's ask the question. How are we doing? How are we doing? More specifically, how are you doing? How are you doing being about the mission that Jesus left? We're all to be a faithful witness in every place that we go. We're to be a witness in the, in the areas where we play, in the areas in which we work, the spaces that we live, the neighborhoods that we live in. We are to be a witness, a faithful witness. That means an example that we would be a person that shows by our actions, by our thoughts, by our deeds, by the way that we interact with others, that we clearly understand who Jesus calls us to be. This is one of those things that, to be honest, when I was in high school, when I was in middle school, even as I was uh, in, in college my freshman year, I kind of understood this whole telling other people about Jesus thing as one, kind of weird, and two, something that I was not equipped and or paid for, right? Now you say, well, great, you're paid for it now. <laughs> no, that is not what I'm paid for because that is not a leave it to the pros kind of thing. This is not like, hey, if you go through enough training in seminary, if you go through enough classes at the church, if you go through enough of these types of things and you get to the point where you can do it professionally, then you can go out and you can tell other people about Jesus. It's like the people that are coming up to your house right now trying to sell you solar, right? It is not, the, that is not the way it works. It's not a leave it to the pros kind of a thing. And it's definitely not a that's what we pay you for thing, 
okay? You don't pay me for going out and preaching and teaching the gospel to other people. Well, I do that, right? That's part of my job. That's part of what I do as a pastor. But that's not the only reason that I'm here on staff. I'm here to do the work of the ministry to be a pastor. And you, every single one of you, are not let off the hook because every person who's a believer in Jesus, this is their responsibility as well. Everyone in this room's responsibility is to go tell and send. But you say, listen, I've driven from this point to that point. I've driven the 10 miles between here and San Antonio, and I know that I've counted at least five churches on the way. Surely we're covered. There's a church on every corner. We really don't need to worry about it. Did you know that according to Pew Research, there are people that do research on pews. Um, no, they, <laughs> if they did, they'd be better, right? Um, but the Pew Research Council, what they do is they kind of ask questions, they do surveys, and they, they try to figure out what's going on, the pulse of the world, the pulse of the United States. And according to them, 31% of people, 31% of people nationwide go to church one time a month. 31% of people go to church one time a month. Now, if you take out online attendance, if you take out getting on a live stream, do you know what that number drops to? 26% of people do that one time a month. 26%. Now, I'm kind of a numbers geek, and I can sit and I can go dive into a bunch of data and sit there and just go, oh, man, this is great, this is great, this is great. But to be honest, when I do that, people go, this is boring and when's lunch? But did you know that in Medina County, there are over 51,000 people? Within five miles of this building, there are 10,000 people. That was according to, to the census of, of uh, estimates of 2019. Now, this has grown by almost 50%. That number of 10,000 grew by over 50% in 20 years. But it's, con- it's going to consistently grow to over 11,000 by 2024 and a whole lot faster after that because this area is exponentially growing and it's not going to stop. And all the locals go, oh, it's time to sell. But let me tell you a different thought. What if God is bringing the mission field to you? Then why would you ever think about moving? If God is bringing the mission field to you, let me tell you something that happened this morning. We had a family stop by that was in need of some assistance this morning. And we were able to connect and I was able to talk with them for just a few minutes and understand that they're trying to go to Atlanta. Now, one of the interesting things about this family is uh, there was a pretty, pretty heavy accent and, and those kinds of things, and I asked names, and, and to be honest, I, unless I hear a name a lot, I'm just really not that great at it. But this family was Muslim, and they stopped by asking a Christian church for assistance. So what did I do? I said, get out of here, right? And I said, no, we're not going to help you. Get out of here, right? No, what did I do? I said, hold on a minute. I don't know what all we have, but I bet we have something. What do you need? 
well, if you have any food, if you have some things like that, I said, great, stick tight, I'll get you some food, and we'll get you some gas, and it happened, so happened that Tina had a, had a, a, a gift certificate that somebody had given her, said, hey, if somebody needs this, then give it to them, and so she was able to bless them with that. I gave them food, we gave them gas, and we gave them a gift certificate, or a gift card to HEB, and I was able to sit and talk with them for just a few minutes and say, obviously, I know that there's some things going on in your life because I needed to get to Atlanta for a court date. And I said, but I believe in prayer. And that's, we believe in prayer here. And if you don't mind, can I pray for your travels? And as I did that, he gets down on his knees and he faces west. And I pray to our Heavenly Father and ask our Heavenly Father to protect them, to bring people in their path that would, talk, that would give them blessings and grace and that would show them what does it mean to be people that live under the blessings of God. Now you say, well, pastor, you didn't share the gospel with them at that moment. Oh, but I prayed in Jesus' name that our Heavenly Father would bless them. And they had as far as it depended on me, a positive interaction with somebody that claims to love Jesus. It didn't take much, just took a little bit of time, some thoughtfulness, and let me tell you, church, I couldn't have done this if it weren't through your faithful giving, if it weren't through your faithfulness in giving back just a portion of what God gives you. Those are the reasons that we give. Those are the reasons that we have people like Tina on staff. That's the reason that we have people like Morgan and Alex that are going into the communities of San Antonio and having conversations with people because it's about giving them what they need most. And it's not the food and it's not the gas. They don't need that the most. They need to know about the love of Jesus Christ. Back to my uh, statistics because, you know, if we go with those numbers that 26% of people aren't in, are in church any given Sunday, that means that 7,500 7, people are not in church any given Sunday within five miles of this building. 7,500 people are not in church any given Sunday. So of the 2,500 uh, churchgoers, roughly of that, only about 1,200 of them are in church on a Sunday. So the question is, what can we do about it? What can we do about it? I'm not looking to, to guilt anyone into action here, but if, if that's what works, I guess that's what we'll do. But I'm not trying to guilt anyone into doing anything. But what I want us to understand is that we all have a responsibility. We all have a responsibility. It's not just for the professionals. It's not just for the people that have a degree. It's not just for the people that have X number of, of of scriptures memorized. It's about people that know that there's a God who loves them that changed their life once, right? It's all our responsibility. 
In fact, uh, to really figure out that there's really nothing special about people that can tell others about Jesus, you don't have to go very far into the New Testament. You look in Acts chapter 4, and this is where, uh, where uh, Peter and John are getting in trouble again with the, Sanhe- with the Pharisees, and they're telling them, hey, don't say those things. And they're like, okay, we're going to say them anyway. And so what they figured out about these guys is that when they saw their boldness, of, of Peter and John, and they figured it out. They perceived that they were uneducated, common men. They were astonished because they had recognized that they had been with Jesus. And let me tell you, as a believer in Jesus, if you will be open and willing People will be astonished at what happens in your life because they will recognize that you have been with Jesus. God, in his wisdom and in his plan, you know what he did? He didn't leave the spread of the good news of Jesus to the angels. He didn't leave it to the people that were qualified. He left it to the people like us, the ones that would go and spread his message. The church is what he left it to. The church is you and me. It's not the building. It's you and me and the others. The church is God's plan A for the spread of the gospel. And there is no plan B. There's no contingency. There's nothing else. It's us. So how do we see the gospel move from one generation to the next? We take responsibility for it. God placed you and I. He placed us in this place, in this city, in this location, at this time, specifically so that we would be about the things that only we can do through Christ. He puts you in this spot, in your job, in your school, in your neighborhood to be that person. He placed us strategically throughout the city. Most of us don't live close to one another. There's a few that kind of live in little sections, right? But we are scattered all through Medina County into Bear County, right? We're scattered. And think of it in this way, that God has placed us strategically in the places that we are, that we are outposts. We are an outpost, a strategic placement by our Heavenly Father. In, in, in a war term, in a military term, an outpost is one is an outer place of defense, right? Or a, a unit that is sent into enemy territory to then gain control of that area. If you're talking about the frontier, you put people in the outpost to be that place that would continue to move the agenda forward. In fact, the the writer of Acts uh, wrote it in Acts chapter 1, wrote it this way that as Jesus was giving his instructions to those before he left, he, he told them this, you are to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You are to start here and we're to spread here 
and spread here until we have gone all over the earth. We have to begin to see ourselves as outposts in the places that God has put us. Outposts for the kingdom of God. To be the representative of God in what we could call enemy territory. So based on the stats, based on the stats that, that we have about church attendance, about people that are in uh, just in, I mean, because how do you measure faith of a person that you don't know if they know Jesus or not by whether they go to church? It's not about necessarily putting people in the churches, which is good, but how do you know somebody truly follows? It's because they begin to be part of the body of Christ. So based on these stats, we have a pretty big job to do, but we all are strategically placed. We are strategically placed to go and to gain territory for our Heavenly Father. Because if we don't, people won't recognize it. And we won't be part of the movement of God. So our homes must become outposts. Oh, but, but listen, does that mean that I'm going to have to open my door to a stranger? It might. Does it mean that I'm going to have to share my tool with my neighbor who broke the last tool that I let him borrow? It may. Our homes have to become outposts, a place of hospitality, a place of grace and welcoming. That's what our homes should be. But it doesn't stop there. Our desks and school, our desks should be an outpost, understanding that we are going into a territory that not everybody can go into. Our desk at work, the places that we go, we need to become an installment of grace, an installment of the gospel, no matter where we go. That means sporting events. That means when we go to the gym, when we go to the grocery store, when the line is too long, anybody go to HEB this past weekend? Oh my goodness. Anybody lose their religion at HEB? (laughs) We are to be outposts there. Our community. Why do we participate in a parade in the community? One, because it's fun for the kids, but two, because we get to be an outpost in the community for someone who may not know. So what I want you to do is think about in your own circles, in your own life, I want want you to think about one or two people that you know that don't know Jesus. One or two people that you regularly see that don't know Jesus. Do you have them in your mind? Will you write them down? Will you text a message to yourself? Will you, however it is that you remember to do something, Tell your wife, that's how I remember. (laughs) Write the names down. And I just want you to pray daily for them. Just pray for them. Not asking you to do anything crazy yet. That's the next slide. Would you pray for an everyday conversation to become a gospel? conversation? Would you pray that the conversation that you have with one of those two people turns into an opportunity for you to tell them about the gospel of Jesus? Jesus said that if we lift him high, that he will draw people to himself. That it's not about us. It's not about who we are. It's always about who he is. 
And we have the good news. And as we think about the good news, it starts with God's design. So as we go through this, we're going to kind of pick each of the three circles apart. We're going to start with this first one, the, the God's design. So beginning in Genesis 1 and 2, God, it tells us about God as creator. He's the one that, that designed this world and everything that it was meant to be. And it was a life that God, when he created it, was one that was going to be set in the heart of man. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has placed eternity in the hearts of man. And God placed a longing for himself in the heart, in the soul of everyone that has been born. And God has a design for every life that he created. There is no exception Even the ugliest, meanest person, God has a design for the life that he created in them. And if they choose to ignore it, it just helps us to prove a point that they are broken. But Paul said it this way. He said, he said in Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, that we are God's masterpiece. We're God's masterpiece created He created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he has planned for us long ago. It tells us two things about God. One, that we are a treasured masterpiece of his and that he has plans for us and he planned them long before we were born. But from the beginning, God had a plan. From the beginning, God, he created and he loved us. So a quick just jump through Genesis Genesis 1, 1 through 25 basically goes like this. God created the heavens and the earth, and he made light. That's day one. Water and atmosphere, day two. Dry land, plants, three. He made the stars. He spun the earth. He made the moon, day four. Day five, it was the fish and the birds. And then day six was every kind of land animal. And all of those things were good. And then God created human in his image, the pinnacle of his creation, the crown of his creation, his masterpiece. And we believe that God has a design for every area of our life. God has a design for our gender identity, that we were created male and female. He has a plan for our our families, that we be fruitful and that we multiply. He has a plan for our work life, that we have dominion over the earth, that we work the garden that we, we produce. He has a plan over our rest life, that we are restful in our obedience to Christ. It's a plan for our marriages that we leave and cleave. God created us to be in relationship with him. God created us to be in this unbroken communion with him. In Genesis 3.8, it says that God walked and he talked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden. And the unbroken communion that, that we have the the broken communion is restored through the gospel. We can illustrate that with three circles, right? We can illustrate it here, that number one, the design of God. The design of God is for us to, uh, to be in marriage, to have family, 
to have a good view of this, God's design for our sex life, to have the right view of our work, to know that God created us to be with him, that God created a design for us, and it was good. In fact, it was very good. But we departed from that design, and we chose other things over God's design. The Bible calls that sin, and sin comes very naturally to us. No one in our life gets it right every time because we all sin and we all fall short of God's perfect design. That's Romans 8 or 3.23. Sin, sin, it brings a, it brings a price. Sin, the price of sin that it brings in our life is that we're left in brokenness and pain. Broken relationships. We have brokenness all around us. We have things that we wish that were different, but they're not. We deal with it with, with addictions and we muddle through depression, discouragement, shame, and we want to try and figure out a way out of it. We try to figure out a way out of our brokenness, so we try to fix it. We try to medicate it with drugs, with alcohol. We try to figure out how to do the best Instagram profile or do be a tic-tac, tic Tic-tac, tick-tock, superstar. I mean, tic-tac, superstar, that'd be all right too. Um, but we try as much as we can. We try to either do it through alcohol, drugs, social media, whatever it is, or we try to do it by being a better person. Do more good than bad. And we look for ways to alleviate our pain only to find at the end of the day that we're still in pain. We're still broken. We're still in need. And we need change. The Bible word for change is repent. The Bible word for change is repent. Brokenness is what gets us to the point where we're finally ready to hear about what God has done. God's solution to our brokenness. God's solution to the problem of sin. The change that we really need in our lives comes from Jesus. He forgave our sins. So then we repent and believe. And God gives us his spirit. God gives us our, his, the spirit and he helps us to recover and discover what God's design for our life truly is. And he also gives us the strength to pursue it. And then what does God do? He sends us out. He sends us right back out into a broken world to tell others how to find their way out of their brokenness. If you've ever wondered, why did God allow me to go through brokenness? Why did I have to go through it to find peace? Because he allowed you to find his grace so that you could go back in and help someone else find that grace. Are you qualified? Who in here has been through something hard? Guess what? You're qualified. You're qualified to be sent out into a broken world and tell someone about the difference that Jesus has made in your life. You're qualified. You don't need a fancy degree. You don't even need a cool marker board. 
You can do this on a napkin. You can draw it with water. If you're going to the beach, you can do it in the sand, right? It doesn't matter where you are. So right now, the question that I would ask you is where do you find yourself? Where do you find yourself in that diagram? Are you understanding that God has a design for your life, but you're still in the midst of your sin? You're still in the midst of this sin and you're dealing with brokenness and you really are trying everything to get out of it, but you don't know what to do to get out of it? Where are you? Are you on the other side where you found repentance and redemption in Jesus, but you're not yet back into understanding God's design for your life? We're all somewhere. We're all somewhere. So is there anything that would keep you, if you don't know Jesus, from repenting and believing in the gospel right now? But for those of us that believe in here, is there anything that would stop you from sharing? So my prayer for you today is this, is that you would find the opportunity to change your everyday conversations into gospel conversations. Would you pray with me?